The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's Buzz Annual Reporting. Ooh, let's do a reality check. The scope of annual reporting disclosures is growing every year, not just the financial part, but also the non-financials. It's big. If your organization doesn't have the right people, the right processes, the right technology, and the right best practices in place to conquer these intensifying challenges, how can you expect to cross the annual reporting finish line with your collective sanity intact? That's a big question. Maybe you've got your sanity, maybe you don't, maybe it's looming large. I have some experts today on the panel who are going to help you reclaim that sanity. First, we're going to be speaking with John Church from Cundus, and he says, if everything seems under control, you're not going fast enough. Hey, sports fans, race car fans, anybody recognize those memorable words from from none other than Mario Andretti. That's a great quote from John Church, and he'll be explaining to us in a few minutes how this relates, and I think you see the dotted line here, to annual reporting. Also joining us today is Mike Willis from PwC, and this is a quote in his own words. He says, Standardization of the business reporting supply chain is transforming and enhancing processes, controls, and capabilities for all market participants. Big global statement there from Mike Willis, and he will explain. Our third guest on the panel is unable to join us, but he prepped for the show, so we're going to include some of his information as a courtesy. It was Torsten Yap from SAP, and Torsten said, and we'll speak to this as well, disclosure management is far more than creating and publishing financial reports. It is effective communication to internals and externals, and that really describes the scope of what we're discussing. So join us for the next hour of the last mile of reporting, staying in control. Reminds me of a John Travolta song somewhere. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. This is episode number 12 in a 13-week mini-series. Our goal is to help educate you, inform you, inspire you, and make your job easier if you're a finance professional in any size business, any market, any industry, anywhere in the world. I have a quick question for my Game Changer listeners, and then I will introduce my guests, and we will kick off the opening of the show and talk about what their quotes really mean. So, question for you, my listeners. Your vast volumes of business data demand instant access and timely, insightful analysis, similar to what we're discussing on today's show. SAP Honda to the rescue. Click any banner on any of our show pages. 
pages. Coffee Break with Game Changers and The Cloud with Game Changers. This show, Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Go to a page with a lot of free information offers and look for our free value calculator with our compliments. Now, let me tell you who's on my panel. John Church is Managing Director of Cundus North America, a leading provider of business intelligence and reporting solutions. That's why he's on the panel. John has brought vision and foresight to some of the most challenging issues in technology, including cautioning against the year 2000 panic. I was one of the people who lived through that in a high-tech job and highlighting the true benefits and risks of outsourcing. John Church, welcome to SAP Radio. How are you today? Great. Thanks, Bonnie. Where are you calling from, John? Just outside of Washington, D.C. And what's the weather? Uh, well, it's nice here. Yesterday was uh, pretty, uh, pretty stormy, but uh, it's a beautiful day. It always happens after the storm you get the prettiest days. There you go. I'm waiting for the pretty day here. I'm Long Island, just a little bit north of you. A lot of rain yesterday, but at least it cleared up. Thank you, John, for joining me. And I'm going to introduce your co-panelist today. Mike Willis is a partner at PwC. He's the founding chairman of XBRL International. We'll explain that in a minute for the uninitiated. And he's the founder of WICI. Mike has played a founding role also in the development of national and international consortia working to develop broad corporate reporting frameworks and related taxonomies. Mike Willis, how are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Glad to be here. Thank you. Where are you calling from? I'm down in Florida, not too far away from Disney World. It's Chamber of Commerce weather down here. Okay. <laughs> that means it's brochure weather. How's business down there in Disney World? Do you get there very often? Um, actually, not, not much anymore. My kids are a little older, so I haven't been over there as much as I used to. Yeah, I haven't been there in about 30 years, and I'll tell you how old my kids are, but it was fun while it lasted. Uh, Mike, I appreciate your joining me as well. Let me just introduce Torsten Yap, who was unable to join us, but we will be referencing some of his input here. He's a solution manager, manager at SAP. He led the development of SAP Disclosure Management and SAP Notes Management at your company, John Church, before Torsten joined SAP Solution Management. So let's get rolling here. I'm going to go back into the monologue. I'm going to pull up part your quotes john church if everything seems under control you're not going fast enough first of all love the quote love mario andretti why did you pick a mario andretti quote to talk about annual reporting talk to me sure well uh, bonnie the first thing i thought of with the uh, last mile of finances it's obviously a driving analogy uh, and one of the drivers that influenced me a lot when i was younger was mario andretti he was a real hard-working guy and uh, he happened to be a great race car driver so uh, jumped out that you know something that he said might be relevant but when I started looking through uh, thinking about it the quote I think really means that you it's much easier to control where you are and what you're doing if you're not moving too fast and so the real challenge is to balance how fast you're moving with the ability to control the speed and, and make sure that you get to where you're headed uh, safely so in the end, I think you have to say you can't, you can't give up control and still win races, though. So uh, Mario Andretti wouldn't have been the famous race car driver he was if he got to the last mile of the race and got up out of the driver's seat and let somebody else win it for him. So I think it's a matter of staying in control and making sure that you uh, balance the speed and control. Very interesting, and I'm going to ask you to expand this even a little more, John. I know there's a team effort. Mario is not alone in that race car. He's got the pit crew. He's got the production guys. He's got the people now. I know because I work for SAP, he probably would have analytics wired right into the car, and he would have a team back at the office somewhere or in the stands watching the analytics. How is it doing? How's the gas consumption? How's the turnability? How are all the systems working? So how does a, a team, just give us a little intro 
here. How does a team effort play into keeping that control, especially when you're in the last mile, John Church? Well, it's very interesting because we uh, we talk a lot with uh, high-powered executives who are in charge of their company's financial reporting, just like like a race car driver would be in charge of their car, Bonnie, and uh, they rely very much on the pit crew, as you said, and the instruments in the in the race car, and very finely tuned. And these uh, these folks are proud of their organizations, and they're moving very fast. But you know, we use the analogy of this last mile of finance that. Uh, a race car driver is, is flying around the track, and then literally, you know, in the last few hundred yards before the before the finish line, uh, they they stop their cars in a screech of dust, get out of the car, they strap you know 100 pounds of Excel spreadsheets and Word documents on the back, and they literally run that last hundred yards to the uh, finish line. And uh, sort of, that, I think that analogy gets people realizing that you can't abandon your crew, you can't abandon all that instrumentation you have, and and still try to uh, finish strong in the race. Very well put. Thank you. Love the sports analogy. Terrific. Mike Willis, let's talk about your quote. Standardization of the business reporting supply chain is transforming and enhancing processes, controls, capabilities for all market participants. Let's pull this apart. I want to know about the level of standardization, the evolution of standardization. Is it a reality? And who are these all market participants you're referencing, Mike? Sure, Bonnie. The uh, the idea of supply chain standardization is not a new idea. It's an old idea. Barcodes in a grocery store, containers for shipping and logistics, um, HTML and the Internet standards. So this idea is really one that's very common. We are now applying standardization to the business reporting supply chain. Um, and much like John's analogy of that last mile, uh, if we use the barcode analogy in the grocery store, um, mm-hmm. inventory used to be managed manually, um, and you had to really figure out what was going on in the store manually. Today, with the application of barcodes, not the case. Um, there's a tremendous amount of automation there, and there's a tremendous amount of insight as to what people are buying based on analytics uh, in the stores. Now, that analogy also relates to how business reporting folks think about this idea. Because when the barcode was first introduced, grocery store managers had inventory clerks put the barcodes on the products when they stocked the shelves. Mm-hmm. Really silly today, but that's what they did. And, and that's the control feature that John's referring to, is somehow this is something we do after we finish reporting, not embedding it into our reporting. So connecting the race car and the grocery store here is really about applying these concepts early in the supply chain so that the entire supply chain, producers, consumers all along, can, can benefit from that idea of standardization. Very interesting. I, I love the uh, I love the grocery store and the race car pulling pulling the two analogies together. Terrific. Uh, you know, it's always nice to take a lofty concept, something that might be out of reach of some, we might have some non-financial professionals listening to the show and to bring it down into lay terms. So I appreciate that from both of you. Now I'm going to reread Torsten Yoff's quote because I think it has a great deal of merit for our discussion and we have three minutes left to this segment. So let's see if I'm going to ask both of you, uh, John first and then Mike, to comment on this. Torsten says, Disclosure management is far more than creating and publishing financial reports. It's effective communications to internals and externals. So, John Church, what does this mean to you? How much do we have a percent where the internals are involved, a percent the externals? Is it equal play? And where are these people that you have to communicate to them and when? 
Well, Bonnie, often the external reporting team is an island, really, and the information flows into it, and then from that group comes come these uh, regulatory reports and, and other documents. Uh, I think Torsten's quote is, is dead on because it's it's really a matter of integrating, and to Mike's point as well, integrating the reporting process with the whole way the company acts and the, the way that it uh, measures itself in terms of performance. So in the end, reporting is simply a, a reflection of the performance of the organization, and that means that communication between organizations organizations and, uh, and, and through systems to ensure that the data is accurate and current is absolutely critical to uh, sustained quality reporting. Sounds like we're talking about transparency from A to Z. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. And, and uh, also accountability. Ooh, yes. Accountability and transparency all the way through, not just, OMG, it's reporting time. Damn. Let's go find the numbers. Right, Mike? That's exactly right, and I think it's also uh, highlighting the idea that it's a holistic concept. Um, Thorsten's point about, you know, a small group, if you think back to the inception of the Internet, and I used to work in Silicon Valley about that time, it was very common for organizations to have a single person or a small group of people, the webmaster, who had access to this Internet thing. Because yes. the Internet at that point in time wasn't relevant to anybody else, obviously. I mean, you know, no one's going to buy anything over the Internet. And that idea of just having a small group of people use something like disclosure management is very similar to the way it was back in the mid to late 90s with the Internet. I think Thorsten's point here is that this is really about changing the way information flows. So rather than have a small group of reporting people pushing information out to everyone else, it's a matter of empowering and enabling business people to pull the information into what they need. Um, and therefore, it shouldn't be a small group of reporting people using disclosure management. It should be used holistically by everybody that actually needs and uses information. But I really Thank view you. him highlighting one of the key disclosure management uh, implementation um, considerations in his, in, his, in his quote. Good. Well, in his absentia, and we do send get well wishes to Torsten, he's not feeling well today, I'm glad we're including him because he was part of the prep and he has some good points here, so we'll be including more of his talking points in the show. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP, talking to John Church and Mike Willis and kind of, sort of, Get well wishes to Torsten Yap at SAP. We're talking about the last mile of reporting, staying in control. We've talked about all kinds of things, barcoding and Mario Andretti. Interesting conversation with John and Mike. A lot more to come. And when we come back after the break, I'm going to ask them what's in their cup today, what they're drinking, favorite part of the storytelling in the show. And then we're going to dive into, I want to know a lot more about disclosure management as well as the reporting supply chain. We're going to take a break now. 57 seconds. Don't go too far away. Don't even think of touching that app. Chad, out. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. 
The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. I'm speaking today with John Church from Kundus and Mike Willis from PwC. And we're talking about Torsten Yop from SAP because he sent us some really great information on the topic. The topic is the last mile of reporting, staying in control. We're covering it from every direction you can imagine. But before we dive into our roundtable segment, I'm going to ask John and Mike what they're drinking today because that's part of our coffee break theme. John Church, what are you drinking today? Well, Bonnie, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story, and then I'll tell you what I call it. Uh, so I start with a, a, a cup of strong black coffee because, uh, you know, I need that. And uh, then I think about where the coffee beans have come from. You know, there's some amazing places that grow coffee, Brazil, Colombia, Vietnam, Ethiopia. And these, these places are, uh, you know, amazing because they're, they're beautiful, they're fast-growing, and they have big dreams for the future. Uh, and then I think, uh, all right, what, what can I do today? I'm going, to, I'm going to try to make today better than yesterday. So the combination of the dreams and the motivation, I don't know, I guess you could call it my hope latte because uh, it's, a, it's a combination of all those things. And, and some days, you know, when things aren't going great, I, I admit I might have to have a double shot, but uh, that's my drink. John, that is amazing. We've never heard anything like that. And we get some really incredible stories on both of our shows, Coffee Break and Financial Excellence. Thank you. The Hopa Latte. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mike Willis, I'm not going to ask you if you can top that. I'll just say, what are you drinking today, Mike Willis? You know, Bonnie, funny that you should ask me that question. I, I kind of get that a lot. Uh, what are you drinking? <laughs> no, um, nobody's ever said that. Go ahead. Um, but, uh, you know, I work on process enhancements and new ideas, and I mentioned I was working in Silicon Valley back when the Internet was sort of kind of being born. And even back then, um, it was very difficult for people to conceptualize these new ideas because um, we know what we know, and it's very difficult to conceptualize things we, we don't really know or understand. But even back then, you know, it introduced the idea of HTML, which I think most people are familiar with today. Back mm-hmm. then, you know, People would say to me, hey, I can already link documents in Lotus Notes. I don't need this HTML. And, um, why do you think we need a website? You know, do you really think somebody's going to buy something over the Internet? <laughs> I think th- those kinds of perceptions are very common with any kind of change. 
And I think helping folks through this session today understand some of the transformational business process implications of, of disclosure management and standardization, I think will really be an eye-opener, um, that coffee break that you're really looking for for your, your listeners. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm sure you get that, that question a lot. Nobody's ever said that, but it actually is quite a funny response. I appreciate that. Uh, let's dive into the topic. I want to talk about what, what we discussed in Torsten's quote, the idea of disclosure management. I'm asking a very naive question to both of you, and I think we'll start with Mike. Mike, who is in charge of disclosure management tells me. Management, the word tells me, somebody's managing it. How high up in the organization? What part of the organization? Is there a chair in the C-suite that has DM on the back of the chair, like a director's chair, or DDM, Director of Disclosure Management? Who is that person who leads that team, or is it spread all over the place? I think probably, Ivani, it's initially something that falls into the CFO's organization, in collaboration with the CIO, um, and it's targeting this last mile that, that John mentioned earlier between mm-hmm. sort of consolidation and ERP systems and the actual reports that get produced and used. Um, so today, a lot of that process is done in a very common software application that most people would know as Microsoft Office, Word and Excel, mm-hmm. and it's manual. It's manual assembly, and things haven't changed really in 30 or 40 years. We've gone from paper reporting packages to big Excel templates, and we're still doing a lot of this aggregation and assembly and review in a very manual method, Um, hence the inventory in the grocery store, manual management. And disclosure management is really targeting that set of assembly and review processes around reports, any kind of report. The Thorsten's idea earlier. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really where it resides. Uh, I think encouraging the CIO to participate in that begins to also reveal how broad it can be beyond the CFO, beyond the CIO, to things like investor relations, to things like GRC and business intelligence. It can be a very broad implementation. But typically it starts with the CFO and maybe the controller under some compliance requirements that might come from a regulator. Sounds like a broad team is involved. And before we go back to John, I want to ask you another technical question, Mike, because we were talking HTML and, and spreadsheets. XBRL, I know it stands for Extensible Business Reporting Language. I know it's a freely available global standard for simply exchanging business information. When did this come to pass? Is this something that's a good thing, this XBRL, Mike? Well, I certainly think so. I think it's uh, very similar to the other supply chain standards I mentioned earlier. The barcode in the grocery store, uh, shipping containers, um, HTML. It's simply a standard to describe business information so they can be seamlessly exchanged throughout the supply chain. But very similarly to all of those other standards, um, there's an implementation uh, learning curve, uh, sort of the the Gartner... um, implementation curve, and so you have to go through this learning process as to how standards impact your processes, how you benefit from them, et cetera. And just like the barcode in the grocery store, you know, initially inventory clerks and some housewives in California were very opposed to it because they didn't really understand the process implications. 
Of course, today, everybody supports it and benefits from it, but initially it was perceived as something that might be harmful. And I think we see in history that many supply chain standards had that same kind of initial implementation. But as they mature, they tend to reduce cost, increase quality, accelerate throughput, and expand volume. So they do have some very powerful uh, economic outcomes if they're implemented correctly. And I think talking today about disclosure management is really a key to effective implementation. So I'm very excited to be, be in this discussion. Good. Thank you, Mike. And John Church, I understand you might have a slightly different POV about XBRL. Talk to me. Well, Bonnie, I think uh, Mike's dead on. XBRL is a standard. It's, it's definitely uh, emerging as the way for organizations to communicate information that historically has been done in, in documents, and people had to pull apart the documents and try to deal with language differences and semantic differences and things like that. So this XBRL really is a, is a common language that businesses can talk to each other. Uh, they can exchange information that, that cuts across any industry or size of organization. And it also is, is an extremely powerful tool for regulatory agencies to reduce their costs of processing these reports. So the reason it's emerging, I think, and, and will continue to do so, is because these regulatory agencies don't have the money that they used to to process these reports and to produce the kind of data that, that uh, their constituencies are looking for. So XBRL gives them the means for receiving information in a way that allows them to do much more uh, reporting, much more uh, interesting reporting, uh, at a faster rate than they were able to before. Thank you, John. Now, I, I don't want to make the assumption, I don't want to have our listeners make the assumption that we're just talking North America-centric here because I understand from my research that XBRL is becoming popular around the world, but we also know as companies grow their global footprint through subsidiaries, through other kinds of business rela- relationships and, and outreach that into new markets, that countries have different reporting structures. So, John or Mike, who would like to take the role or the ability of companies to use XBRL around the world to standardize, if I can use that term, their reporting from country to country as companies become multinational? Who wants to address that? I'll take a shot at it because I think this is really a key value proposition of a uh, truly effective disclosure management implementation. Mm-hmm. And it's a Good. tremendous opportunity for companies to kind of rethink their whole process and to have a very effective cost-benefit and, and, and effective implementation. Um, if I could use an example, in almost any country, uh, companies have to produce a, a tax return. It's on a tax basis accounting. They have to produce a financial statement to somebody like the SEC. They have to produce 50 maybe state tax organizations. They have to produce mm-hmm. statutory forms, maybe statistical forms, and lots of other industry regulatory-type ideas. Um, in countries like the Netherlands or in Singapore or Australia, the ministries of finance or the treasury offices are converging these compliance requirements using international financial reporting uh, standards and XBRL to create what amounts to a one-stop data drop. Mm-hmm. And so they're eliminating thousands of forms in lieu of a single data drop. So the implications for using for on compliance costs are very, very dramatic, 25 to 50% cost reduction, because we're eliminating all this duplication and redundancy in lieu of a single approach, single format, single set of reporting principles. And for companies, that can generate a very significant outcome because, as we said earlier, 
today, all of those forms are being produced manually. And so there is a really significant opportunity here for companies to use effective disclosure management implementations to really dramatically change and enhance the way they, they produce these reports, not only for regulators, but for internal purposes as well. Thank you, Mike. John Church, I want you to weigh on this as well. Your thought about XBRL for global reporting, standardization, companies with big footprints. How do you see this? Well, Bonnie, we're, we're fortunate to be working with some of the largest companies in the world on exactly mm-hmm. this problem, which is uh, they're, they're, they're used to doing reports to each of uh, the different countries' regulatory agencies in, in their unique formats, but they, they, the problem is often decentralized to the point where the country deals with their regulatory agency and it's, it's separate from the headquarters function. But many of the, the organizations that we're working with today are trying to pull that back into one single location. So they have one source of data, but multiple destinations and formats, which is a much more efficient way of solving the problem. So we're working with one of the largest insurance companies now to roll out a reporting platform, to Mike's point exactly, where they're not changing their reporting tool or the reporting methodology when they go to a new country. They're simply rolling out a series of templates and, and business processes to ensure that they get the reports done quickly uh, and, and accurately. Very interesting. Uh, before we go to break in just about a minute and a half, John, I want to go back to the, the word. I thought it was an evil word, but it sounds like it's a popular word, spreadsheets. Is that a bad word? No, it's not a four-letter word. Is that a bad word in the reporting world? Is it going to go anywhere? We're talking about streamlining, standardizing. Is it always going to be spreadsheets? Are they going to, or are they going to be really cool, sophisticated apps so people say, wow, I can't wait to use my reporting tools. They're so cool. What do you think, John? Well, Bonnie, I think spreadsheets will always have a part to play. I think, unfortunately, some organizations have made that part bigger than it should be. So what we say mm-hmm. is, you know, a spreadsheet is great for doing uh, analysis. Uh, it's great for looking at, at sets of numbers and coming up with charts and things like that. But you shouldn't manage your critical data in it. It's not a, it's not a data source like an ERP or another large system. So the solutions that we talk about are spreadsheets definitely have a, have a role to play, but uh, you've got you've to keep it in context with the overall criticality of the data. And generally speaking, that's not stored inside a spreadsheet. Okay, thank you. Yeah, please. I completely agree with what he's saying. And maybe a way to think about it is that uh, the bad thing about spreadsheets is if you use them to store data, uh, because that's a physical representation, B2, F2, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. If you use them as a interface, a user interface, like a browser, then you can use them to consume data from anywhere. And in that context, that interface becomes very powerful. That's a good use. The bad use is if you use them for storage. Okay, good point of view. Thank you very much. I, I have a feeling we're giving our audience a, a primer, some people call it primer, on how to do your reporting and how to do it smart. This applies to listeners who are in, I call them the gleam in my eye. I'm going to come out of the box kicking and screaming and take the world by storm with a new product or a new solution, a new service. From those those people to the small startups already in business, the SMEs and all the way up to the top, the big LEs. So there's something for everyone in this discussion. Two very smart guests today. I have John Church, a managing director of Kundus North America, and I have Mike Willis, a partner at PWC and the founding chairman of XBRL International. Now I know what that means. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. When we come back after a very short break, we're going to talk about 
outsourcing in terms of that last mile of reporting, good, bad, or ugly, do you really want someone else in the driver's seat, or should it be Mario Andretti driving your reporting, so to speak? We're also going to be talking about how effective reporting is shifting the focus from simple data gathering, we've been discussing that, how and where do you store your data, to what we'll call insightful analysis and sharp accurate, savvy presentation. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that dial, that app, that mouse. See you on the other side. Chad out. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm still speaking with John Church of Kundas North America and Mike Willis, a partner at PwC. We're talking about the last mile of reporting, staying in control and keeping your sanity at the same time. John Church, I want to kick off this second portion of the roundtable with you. Let's lightly touch on the concept of outsourcing. Should you or shouldn't you put your reporting in someone else's hands and essentially put someone else in the driver's seat? Tell me. Well, Bonnie, the, the challenge is that organizations still have to go through the process of building their report internally. And then uh, for convenience or perhaps because they had no other options in the past, they have chosen to use outside uh, agencies to do the preparation of the documents before they're submitted to the Securities and Exchange Commission. And really what we've heard over and over again is that this process, while it may have been efficient in the past because it might require some special expertise, has really uh, been largely over- overtaken by technology and, and sophistication in, in the reporting teams that we work with. And so outsourcers, I think, are, are facing a, a difficult future because organizations are becoming empowered. They know much more what they have to do. They have much more sophisticated tools to do the work with. And so the role of an outsourcer ends up being one of extra, extra effort instead of streamlining the process and companies we're talking to, they want to keep control. They don't want to give control uh, to an outside agency in that last few critical hours or days before the reports do. And in in many cases, the the fines and the penalties for being late make it really a challenge uh, to deal with an outside agency 
I think we saw last year with the the uh, Google uh, fiasco that using an outside agency can actually cause a tremendous amount of risk in the process as well. That the data that you're uh, prizing so uh, so meticulously can end up getting out into the public's hands before it should. So. Yes, very point well taken. And question for you, if you were going to advise a newcomer to the business world or, or just a small startup, John, would you tell them to avoid outsourcing as a policy setting matter right from the beginning? I would tell them to, I would tell them to look at outsourcing as, as an option if they didn't want to make the investment in building their team internally, Bonnie. I think there's, uh, the, the, the tools that are available, uh, that help organizations organize their data, um, uh, process the XBRL uh, documents that are required have really made outsourcers a, a, a distant second in terms of what I would recommend organizations consider from a reporting perspective. Thank you for that advice. Now we're going Bonnie, to shift gears. Bonnie, oh I, yeah, go, sure, Mike. Go ahead. In on that because mm-hmm. it goes back to this barcode in the grocery store, and there's yes. a history lesson here, right? Um, the outsourcing idea is equivalent to how barcodes were first introduced with the inventory clerk putting them on when they stock the shelves. And you can completely lose control when you do that because the inventory clerks may or may not get it right. And mm-hmm. people in the reporting context are actually liable for those errors. But to really emphasize John's point here is that that idea, history tells us, just it's not sustainable. And so just like the grocery store managers, they did it for a few months, but then they moved it back to the beginning of the supply chain, and that's really what this disclosure management discussion is all about. So I'd really encourage folks who are listening to, to think about what their parents told them. You know, pay attention in history class. Well, mm-hmm. here's a great example of why that's important. Thank you. Good, good perspective. I appreciate that. I like your sense of humor as well. Now, John, I want to shift gears, and you're going to help me do it. We're going to talk about the reporting process transformation. Where are we going with it? What's the impact on disclosure management of things like YouTube, Wikipedia, social media, social changes? How do they come together in the middle? Talk to me, please. Well, I think, Bonnie, the reporting process used to be literally the tail end of everything going on inside the organization. And so it was, uh, you know, every, everything sort of flows downhill. And, and uh, it, was a, it was a challenge to, to get it right without uh, the organization having to go through a tremendous amount of upheaval at that last few, few uh, hours before the report was submitted. So the real transformational change is that people are realizing that external reporting is, is simply, you know, a window into the organization and a reflection of the organization. So things like the, the way that the documents are prepared, the way they look, uh, used to be, you know, we said everything was sort of Times Roman 10 years ago when I talk about the font of these reports. Well, now people are actually making them much more, I'll say, artistic, but definitely uh, more modern looking. And I think these reports are an attempt for organizations to not only show their, the health of the organization and, and comply with the regulatory requirements, but they're also realizing that other companies are looking at these reports. So the reporting agencies are not just... Uh, displaying facts or putting facts into a document, they're actually promoting the organization. And I think this is where we're getting into some of the implications of reporting as a, as a way of showcasing an organization and, and making it look its best, not just reporting on financial results. 
Very interesting. So it's not just a backroom something you have to do on a spreadsheet with the eye shade on and the green lamp. You have a an outward-facing visibility and exposure and therefore risk in terms of, it sounds like, the brand, the reputation of the company. Is that uh, that appropriate, John? Absolutely. Uh, some of the organizations uh, that, that uh, we work with actually will go to their competitors' uh, websites. And uh, for those folks uh, who are familiar, there's, the SEC publishes all these reports. So a competitor will go to uh, or, or an organization will go to a competitor's website and look at what they've done and say, wow, we're, we're actually as good or better or, you know, gosh, we need to get better uh, in order to have us have ourselves not look like we're, you know, from the old, old days. So it really is becoming really? a very, um, I think, a, a socially aware, competitive uh, environment for making the report match the organization's style and, and objectives. And I'm going to hark back to the old days and say it sounds to me like keeping up with the Joneses, who's got the bigger fence, the bigger car, the better lawnmower, the in-ground pool instead of the above-ground, yada, yada, yada. So companies are really looking sideways and saying, hmm, how do we measure up? What is our public? What are our shareholders and stakeholders going to say about this? Very, very interesting. I was not aware of the social aspect of disclosure management. John. Anything else you want to add on that, or should we turn to Mike for that, for the next comment? Well, I know Mike has a very strong viewpoint on it, so I'll, I'll give him the time to comment. Mike, go ahead, please. I, I completely agree with what, what John's outlining, and I think maybe how companies are doing that, uh, that's where a transition's occurring. So in the past, um, just like the grocery store before barcodes, it was done manually, and maybe a college intern did that in the summer. That was the summer project. With disclosure management today that can consume these XBRL web services from regulators around the world, that can be embedded into the actual drafting process. Uh, so when I was saying earlier that Excel is a browser, it can consume the draft data from inside the enterprise just as easily as it can consume peer information from, say, Edgar um, in the SEC. And so very quickly, I can do very granular analysis to understand, am I within the norm of my industry sector or am I outside the norm? Um, and as John said earlier, the regulators are doing exactly that kind of analysis. So having companies be aware of that really gives them an incentive to look at this disclosure management transformational feature set and begin to aggressively adopt it because it's giving them capabilities that they really haven't had in the past. And so that's, that's one, I think, really good example of being able to do that peer analysis in a much more automated and embedded manner. Thank you, Mike. John, I want to move to a remark I made just before we finish the last segment. I want to get into the shift. When you define effective reporting, you're saying there's a shift in focus from the simple way of gathering data. Where do you get it? What do you do with it? How do you store it? How do you report on it to what you're calling insightful analysis and presentation? What are the changes that have come down the pike in terms of expectation and the tools that disclosure management professionals are able to use for this insightful analysis? What are we specifically talking about? Well, Bonnie, the, the process these organizations have to go through has changed, you know, fundamentally. They used to spend a lot of the time that they had gathering and making sure the data that they had was accurate and consistent. And unfortunately, right. that left very little time for them to actually think about what the data, what, what it was saying, where the, what the trends were, and then to take the next step of actually presenting it in a way that was meaningful to people who may not have the time to actually read through it. So mm -hmm. what we're seeing is organizations through automated 
tools that are tightly integrated with their systems, they, the, the process of gathering the data has uh, reduced significantly, which gives them more time to actually think about what the data means and what they want to, how they want to present it, whether it's a chart or a graph or just the words that they use. But it, it really puts the emphasis much more on the insight in, instead of the, simply the acquisition of the data. Thank you. Uh, couldn't agree more. We do a lot of shows on big data, and the question is how do you turn that into signals and insights, usable, useful, consumable information, not just something sitting in a data warehouse. Wow, look at all the big data we have. It's what in the heck are you going to do with it to succeed and thrive and move ahead and grow properly? Mike Willis, any, any comments on what we're discussing right now? I know you have something. Absolutely, and, and this idea is relevant uh, not only to the information that might be in the report, but the information that's in other people's reports and mm-hmm. probably also in other people's analytics. So if we could take this idea of being able to aggregate information and analyze it more efficiently inside the company, realize that the analysts on the other side of the fence are doing the exact same thing with lots of companies' reports, um, and they're using the same standard. And so it is very useful for the companies to be aware of that and to be able to kind of look over their shoulders. Um, and I'll use an analogy that we're all familiar with, YouTube, which mm-hmm. is video. But that standardized video format that they use in the YouTube environment, MP4, the analysts use standardized formulas in their environment. And that gives us a social process around how they think about analytics and modeling. Um, there's publicly available tools that, that do this, and I think it's a real benefit for companies to be aware of that so that they can begin looking over the shoulders of their analyst community and actually making sure that what they're trying to communicate is being effectively understood and incorporated into the models um, so that they're getting the, the right message across. So there's, there's a feedback loop that's now beginning to evolve in the marketplace in the capital marketplace, exactly like the feedback loop that exists in the grocery store uh, with behavioral marketing. So there's an analogy I'm trying to draw there for the listeners in terms of when you standardize the supply chain, these process ideas exist at every step of the supply chain, and the companies that are implementing disclosure management should be aware that the analysts and the regulators have the same kinds of process enhancements and benefits that they do, and they should leverage those as well. Thank you, Mike Willis. And I have a question for both of you. We have two minutes left to this segment of the roundtable before we move to the prediction segment, the crystal ball in our final part of the show. My question to both of you, John Church and Mike Willis, is how do the disclosure management gurus get to the point of making their processes cost-effective. We've talked about a lot of ways. We've talked about XBRL and spreadsheets. We've talked about not outsourcing, keeping it inside, streamlining, talking to the internal and the external audiences. All of this costs money, especially when you add in your analytics tools. How does a company, startup, SME, LE, put it together so that they can contain the costs of the process? I'll give you each 30 seconds. John Church, why don't you start this? Well, Bonnie, I think the, the key thing is to pick the right tools to support the process, to make sure that you've got your folks trained in how to use that tool, and in the end, look at each stage in the reporting process as, as an investment. You're really looking to uh, put effort into it, whether you're using your own team or if you're still using an outsourcer. Uh, it, it all has uh, comes down to the cost. And so you're saying, I want to I invest this amount. 
and I want to get the most value for that investment. What we're recommending is that people don't look to spend a lot of their time and money acquiring the data or putting somebody else in the driver's seat, but really use a tool to make sure that your folks, empower your folks to do the most they can and produce the best results uh, that reflect the values of your company. Thank you. Very well put. Mike Willis, add to that, please. Uh, I would say I agree with everything John just said. The the key thing that that we see in terms of mistakes companies make is the webmaster implementation. So taking disclosure management and putting it on the backs of a handful of people, something less than 10 or 3 in that mm-hmm. range, that's a, a red flag for an ineffective implementation. So when John says our people, I think he means our people, not just a small group. I think that's a key thing for folks who are thinking about disclosure management to consider when they do their implementation. Thank you very much. And guess what? It's time for our final break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. My very, very smart guest. Two guys are holding the fort today. We lost our third to uh, an illness, but we're just delighted to be speaking with very smart people. John Church from Kundas North America and Mike Willis from PwC. We're talking about the last mile of reporting. Yes, I said the last mile. It's the last mile. you got to get everything together. You have to do it cost-effectively and smartly, a lot of great information on today's show. And when we come back, I'm going to ask John and Mike to look into the crystal ball and give us some really good predictions on what will we be talking about, re the last mile of reporting in 2018, all the way five years ahead. So, guys, get out that polishing cloth, get out that chamois, start polishing off the crystal ball, look for blue skies ahead, and when we come back, we'll find out what you can see into the future. Chad, out. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Welcome 
Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. This is the part of the show where I ask my guests to polish off the crystal ball and gaze ahead into the future. We're targeting five years from now. By the way, this is June 2013. So we're looking ahead to 2018. What will the last mile of reporting look like? Will it be a topic under discussion? Will companies be so savvy and so efficient and so cost-effective that it will just be SOP standard operating procedure and nobody will even be discussing it. Let's start with John. Go ahead, John Church. Well, Bonnie, the first thing I see is that uh, this trend of organizations filing to uh, regulatory agencies is is got to continue the process it's on now. Five years from now, I think that all regulatory agencies will be streamlining their reporting process and standardizing on a common language like XBRL. I think it's it's obvious already to the organi- organizations that have that it saves an incredible amount of time and, and frankly, trees that don't have to be uh, cut down to, to produce the paper for these reports. So uh, I see that, mm-hmm. that trend absolutely continuing. Uh, I think even beyond that, uh, the data that's needed can actually be, let's call it tagged, which means that it's it's identified as being meaningful for the regulatory agencies way back up in the process. So by the time it gets to the reporters, they're not, you know, mapping and tagging and doing all this detailed stuff. The data is already identified so that when the reports go out, it is automatic, automatically mapped uh, the way it needs to be. So that's a, an evolutionary change, but I think it's going to dramatically improve the way that reports are, are, uh, are filed and, 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 frankly, processed by the, by the agencies in the future. I think one other point uh, we haven't talked about much, but there's this there's a parallel function that goes on in the let's call it the financial closing process. A lot of numbers get processed, but you know a lot of meaning is lost. And by meaning, I mean the we call the unstructured data that goes along with the numbers. And I think in five years, uh, this unstructured data is going to be collected right alongside the numbers, so that the people doing reporting know what's going on throughout the organization. It gets back to the transparency. It gets back to you know let's not have the numbers you know, just speak for themselves, there, there's often a, a story behind it that investors, shareholders, and, and anyone interested in that company wants to hear about. So that data collection process will go along right with the, the financial consolidation. And I think from a, from a social perspective, uh, I, I don't think it'll even take five years. I think we'll be talking to our TVs. We're already talking to our cars. And, uh, and the good news or bad news is I think they're going to be talking back. So uh, we're going to have to uh, be prepared to communicate in, in ways we didn't, uh, we didn't before, and that extends from financial reporting all the way through the way, the way we communicate with each other. So uh, those are my predictions. John, question. Outsourcing, will it be a thing of the past? And spreadsheets, will they still be part of the main function, perhaps just for data storage? What what will be the role in five years of spreadsheets? Dirty word or, yeah, sure, we use them. It's a good thing. Tell me. Sure. I think outsourcing will have a role. Uh, Bonnie, I think it'll be less than it is today. I think organizations are going to continue to evolve. They're going to get more sophisticated. And the outsourcers, as I said before, I think are going to have to prove that they're worth the investment that organizations make in them. And and that's going to be harder and harder to do over time. So uh, as far as spreadsheets, you know, I would never five years, 10 years, or 20 years predict that spreadsheets were going to go away. I've seen uh, too much of them. They're uh, the number one reporting uh, mechanism in the world so far. And uh, I think they're going to be around because they're easy to use and people can exchange them. But I think their role will also diminish. And I think people are going to see, as Mike said, that a spreadsheet is really a way of presenting information. It should never be a way of storing information. So spreadsheets, absolutely, the role they play in the overall process, I I hope will be less than it is today, because uh, I think organizations miss a lot when they start to put a lot of valuable information in there and then don't have it available to others who might need it. 
Great advice. And one more question before we turn to Mike Willis. Question, last question for you, John Church, is will the relationship between the CFO and the CIO regarding the last mile of reporting, will it be on more collaborative basis? Will they get what they have to do together to make it happen more cost effective, more effective, more accurate, more insightful, more valuable reporting across the board? Will they be talking to each other regularly and understand the need for that collaboration? Well, Bonnie, I think they have no choice because uh, these reports, okay. when they go in, are, are under the signature of the CEO as well as the CFO. So you have a, a, a requirement for the CIO to provide the information the CFO needs because ultimately mm-hmm. the CFO is going to sign off on these reports. And it really, you know, at that level, you know, you can't afford to have any mistakes. So the CIO knows that uh, it's a collaboration between getting the data, making sure the data is current, accurate, consistent, uh, through whatever systems are required to get that data, and then into the hands of the people who report to the CFO so that it can be analyzed and interpreted and, and ultimately presented in a way that's consistent with the values of the organization. Of course, the CEO is going to care that both of those things happen right, and uh, I'm, sure that, I'm, I'm sure that it will continue to, to, to happen that way. Good. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for uh, being patient with all of my questions, but we really wanted to do broad brush on what we've discussed today. Let's turn to Mike Willis, PwC. Mike, time for predictions, cover similar topics, take it in another direction from where John was speaking, and tell me, what do you see, and can you go also out to 2018 for me, Mike? Absolutely. And Bonnie, I'll start with the uh, spreadsheet question. Um, Today, there are spreadsheet plugins that allow you to sit in the spreadsheet and tell the spreadsheet what data you want, and that data magically appears. Hmm. Um, And so that browser type of capability or feature is really the future of spreadsheets. Um, And that's here today, and so I think in five years we'll see it, you know, more widely used. I really don't think people are aware of that today. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of predictions, uh, we hit on these earlier, but I'll just to emphasize them. I think the convergence of compliance processes into that one-stop data drop. Um, the G20 ministries of finance treasury functions are collaborating on this idea that they call standard business reporting, or SBR. And that's clearly a best practice, and I think we'll see that accelerating. It's already been mandated in, in the Netherlands. Uh, there's a mandate pending in Australia, and I think because of the economic um, benefits, it's sort of a no-brainer. So I think we'll see more of those in the next five years. I also think for a recent FEI, Financial Executives International Survey, that the outsourcing of uh, report tagging and whatnot will give way to built-in disclosure management implementation. That's clearly what their survey results have reflected and it's what I'm certainly seeing currently in the market. And it hits on that, that control issue, but I think more importantly, it's about enhancing the internal transparency of information for management to make better decisions. Um, maybe the third item I'll comment on is that that better information is because these disclosure management applications allow the consumers, the, the business people, to pull the information that they think is relevant into the reports that they would like. It's no longer an environment where software pushes a report at you, because if that's the case, I can only get the information that's in that piece of software. These disclosure management applications allow me to pull information from disparate software applications, including those that are external to my enterprise. 
Um, and so they act like a reporting browser environment that's very social and collaborative. And I, I think as companies see the benefits of that, their adoption will accelerate. The last thing I'll mention, I touched on it before, is the idea of social analytical processes. It's like YouTube for modeling. Um, that's clearly a process that Wall Street has adopted, that the SEC has adopted. They call it RoboCop and other other terms there. But I think that companies will also benefit from the ability to exchange and collaborate on business rules and modeling, um, whether that's in the assessment of their reports or in their review of third-party assessments of their reports. So, Bonnie, maybe to wrap up, I think in five years, we're not going to be talking about the last mile. We're mm -hmm. going to be talking about the next mile and how companies can actually begin to more effectively influence and communicate and collaborate with their stakeholders. Thank you, Mike. I have a question for you, a bonus question similar to one I asked John a moment ago, and then we're going to be ready to wrap up. Question for you is the DNA of these two people in the C-suite who we say need to talk and be collaborative and, and understand what they need from each other to do for the benefit of the company overall, the CFO, the CIO. What will the DNA be if you could just sit down and say, okay, this is the person who would best fit that role in each of these C-suite chairs, if you will. Who will those people be in five years? Years. Anybody different from they are today, or will they be more visionary? Will they have different different types of MBAs if there's such a thing? Will they have different training, different backgrounds, different styles? Talk to me just for a minute, Mike. Yeah, I would think those folks that are more data centric, more innovative, um, more tuned to the internet protocols and standards and processes that are enabled. That idea is sort of the forward looking model. I think that many of the folks that might be my age or, or older sort of grew up without the benefit of the Internet, and I, I think that has painted their perspective uh, and capabilities to really envision what is now upon us, the Internet. And so I think the key DNA thread there, Bonnie, to specifically answer your question, mm -hmm. is the Internet-centric nature of their thinking. Um, and are they actually leveraging those capabilities and how they think about their processes and their architectures? Thank you. Great, great to know that. I appreciate that. It's time for my predictions. Very simple. I have them written down here. Next Tuesday, June 25th on Financial Excellence with Game Changers, we'll be wrapping up our special 13-week mini-series with finance transformation as an overall topic. And every Wednesday, we're still here on going all the way through 2014 so far with Coffee Break with Game Changers. June 19th, we're talking about the importance of the IT professional brain. What a concept. Innovative technologies will fail without it. Hmm. June 26th, we're talking about enterprise mobility and Enablement, part two of a show we first dived into, dove into, on February 20th, 2013. And July 3rd, on the holiday day before the U.S. Independence Day holiday, we're going to rerun what I call the best of coffee break. We had a special show on April 24th called People Who Need People, Care Circles app for families of autistic loved ones. Very important show, very touching. You might shed a tear for good reason. We covered a lot with some really interesting and smart people who care. So I I want you to listen to that on demand or on July 3rd. I want to thank my special guest for holding down the fort with me, John Church from Kundus North America. Terrific, John. Thanks for the great information and insights. Mike Willis from PwC, wonderful to have you on board. Thank you also for sharing your deep expertise.
expertise and passion for this subject and all the grocery store analogies. I will be looking at those barcodes. And a get well shout out to Torst, Torsten Yap from SAP. Sorry you couldn't join us, but thanks for the great input. Shout outs to Aaron Hughes, Malcolm Kimberlin, Michael Lords, Brad, Chad, Ryan, Jeff, and Jeff, and the Business Channel team. Thank you so much for supporting us. Okay, here's my call to action. Put on your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Financial Excellence with Game Changers, brought to you by SAP. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week. Music.